A little while back, or what feels like a little while ago, we talked about costume jewelry and the possibilities you could achieve on the cheap. But what if you want something much nicer? What if it's an engagement ring or a commemorative piece that you want to withstand the test of time? That's when you need to talk to someone like my expert today. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Sunny Blaze. Sunny is a designer of some of the finest jewelry to ever grace A-list carpets. From rings to necklaces and off into categories you've never considered, Sunny has done it all in style without compromise. He's here today to inform all of us what it is we should be looking for in the most precious of minerals, diamonds. Really, the choice goes beyond a simple big or small. Do you want natural or synthetic? Clear or colored? And how can you buy it while being environmentally conscious, socially responsible, and still not decimating your bank account? All that and more coming right up. Let's get rocked. Welcome to the show, Sonny Blaze. Hey, thank you for having me, Colton, the one and only Colton Petrie. Hey, thanks for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself for the audience? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Sonny Blaze. I'm a fine jewelry designer, uh, 30 years experience in the fine jewelry industry. I'm a designer and gemologist here in Beverly Hills. I live in Los Angeles, technically, but a lot of my clients are in the Beverly Hills area. Yeah, fantastic. So what got you into this? Like, where'd you get started? Well, that's... um, that's kind of funny. I said it's a it's an accident in a, a lot of ways, and uh, like I always say, you know, <laughs> the way to success is to force gump your way through it. You stumble into things. Uh, it's up to you to take advantage of those opportunities or see them as opportunities. So, rewind. Um, I'm from Eastern Colorado, farm country. Now, my dad is a sheep shearer. I sheared sheep uh, in the weekends and summertime, so made me a fourth generation sheep shearer from a line of sheep shearing families. Our upbringing was farm country, you know, heating up water on the stove to, to take baths and stuff. And, and uh, we grew up very, you know, you know poor, but uh, we didn't see it as poor. We saw it as this is our lifestyle. Uh, but again, we always look for opportunity to move forward. When I, I had really long hair <laughs> back in the day and I wanted to be in a band. So I moved to Denver I was in a band, and um, this is where my first big break, you should say, not musically. We did have a great band. We almost got going, but I actually uh, needed a job, like most musicians. We need a job, and the uh, my drummer said, hey, my mom, and dad, my mom owns or co-owns a fine jewelry repair shop. All you got to do is deliver jewelry to the mall, and I'm like, okay, that's for me hanging out with chicks at the mall. How bad could it be? Well, fast forward 30 years later, I just fell in love with the jewelry industry. And um, that's where I got started, accidentally, uh, just looking for a job. And uh, that's how I got into it. 
Yeah, I mean, that seems like probably quite the culture shock, even just to go from like where you lived to Denver was probably quite a change. Yeah, I was in a graduating class of nine in Bethune, Colorado. Uh, seven girls, two guys. And uh, so our high, our high school, our entire school was from kindergarten to, to high school was 99 students. And so we were literally the smallest school in Colorado. And uh, going from there to Denver was one big shock, but I was kind of ready for it. I needed to get out of the small town. The bigger shock was in 2001, actually, my now wife, we were engaged and I said, you know, I really want to advance. I at that point had been in the industry for 10 years and I said, I've been in the shop for a long time, uh, but I want to be become more experienced. So she said, let's go to New York. <laughs> and so uh, 2001, I find myself in Manhattan. So here I am looking around at the, you know, New York City. And thinking about growing up in Bethune, Colorado, population 183 or 185, whatever the last census was. And I'm like, this, there's literally more people on this subway car than in my entire hometown. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite a, it was quite an adventure. But again, opened my eyes to opportunity. I'm like, wow, this is a, one of my favorite things to remember is the song I hope you dance because there's a lot of times in our lives when we uh, see an, uh, something happening and we're like are we going to be bystanders or are we going to be involved in that and uh, there's when I was in New York it was like hey listen you know what uh, um, I can do this they're just people just like me yes uh, I, I, I've slept under a park bench with my with my entire family when we were traveling between jobs you know but at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we start to see the inner soul of every other person. And uh, I said, you know what? I can do this. And so we, uh, my wife and I just uh, kind of tighten the belt and move forward. And, and uh, I became a gemologist, a, 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 um, an expert in diamonds. And uh, we'll get to the next chapter in a minute because uh, I actually, being an artist, I was pursuing a... Um, a career in expertise in diamonds. And so I became pretty good at it, but I knew that eventually that wasn't going to be my end career because I had an artistic soul. And I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not being very creative on the technical side of diamonds. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that was the, uh, the next big stop was New York city. So that's the talk about culture shock. Yeah, quite. And what kind of, you know, is there a lot of like training or is it mostly kind of working in the field to become like a gemologist and to work with fine jewelry? It's a combination, actually. Yeah, because um, traditionally, a lot of diamond dealers and diamond specialists were in the Jewish community, Hasidic Jewish community, where you'd have people from Israel and other communities, uh, people from Russia, um, places that that uh, had a lot of uh, jewelry or diamond centric uh, business um, lifestyles. So traditionally you do get you know, most of the training comes from your hands-on experience, but through the Gemological Institute of America, GIA, they actually developed these programs because they were the GIA, just to rewind again, actually created the standards that we all use globally. The D to Z color grading, for example, if you have a G color diamond and then the, flawless down to i3 
internal uh, clarity grading, all these standards of uh, what we call the four C's, uh, carrot, clarity, color, and cut. These four C's were actually uh, initially introduced by GIA way back when they needed to standardize the, the quality of a diamond in order to really improve the, the trust in the trade and improve consistencies and value of diamonds. So if from the beginning, GIA was always trying to make sure that the, you know, the community and the industry was, was trained. And uh, so uh, in addition to the hands-on experience, they introduced these great programs like the, the graduate gemologist program, which is probably their most popular, which is the one I took. And that's where you get the most important and fundamental training for diamond expertise. And it sounds like, you know, there's quite a lot of very technical things when you're talking about like the grade, the clarity, the color. Is it kind of a simple, like, you know, I'd heard you say a couple of letters in there. Is it fairly simple to understand or do you see most people get washed out in the terminology? Yeah, people get really, uh, people get really um, a, a little, you know, confused with it because it, it does get very technical. And since as far back as I can remember, the bottom line is working with someone you trust um, because uh, the industry uh, has developed a lot of standards which people can can um, follow. And so the mo but but there's but there's so many different variables in terms of well uh, quali you know qualifying a diamond. So you can easily get into a rabbit hole of like you 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 want to understand okay what is the color is it a G color down to a J color or whatever, what does that mean? And you can easily get caught up in all these different variables in the technical side of the diamond. And we forget that we're just buying it because it's beautiful, right? And so, um, but you wanna make sure you're informed. The most important thing is just getting in contact or working with a, with a, a reputable jeweler, someone that you can trust so that you can, they can clearly explain to you what it is and again it's it, it just gonna depend on what you want to spend because yeah if you want to get a d flawless i just had a pair of diamonds that a client is going to have into earrings um yesterday and these diamonds are massive they're like a, a four and a half carat each but they're d color they're flawless they're they're um type 2a we'll get into all that nonsense at, at, at another time but but they're this is the best of the best in the natural diamond and um the reality of seeing that with your naked eye is it's it's hard to, to to look at it and go i can see that difference there's a very subtle when you see them you're like oh my gosh those are amazing uh but a lot of times people buy those kinds of products because they want the absolute best and there's nothing wrong with that but uh to answer your question about the terminology there is a lot of information you can really get dig deep into it the reality is, though, just get talk to a jeweler you trust and say, "Does this is this something that is good quality, bad?" You, you can really generalize it, and the trusted jeweler will just say, "Hey, listen, don't worry about type two A identification, blah blah blah. Don't worry about the refractive index and all this other stuff. It's beautiful, and here's a good, better, best option for you. Uh, what's good for your fit?" It's kind of one of those, like, does it look really pretty to you? Is this something yeah. you would like to wear? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And I mean, going into, would you like to wear it in the fine jewelry industry? I have to assume there is a lot of trends, especially with how long you've been doing this, 
that you have seen come and go over the years? Yes, we've seen a lot of trends come and go. Um, there's some really, really important uh, stays or like they're kind of a, uh, let's just say, for example, a Tiffany Solitaire. Just simple prongs, uh, thin band, and you got a nice big rock in the middle. That is kind of a uh, a legendary uh, design that is going to be around forever. Uh, and I think that what happens is that is that people try to introduce some different styles around that. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, this is just before, just as I was getting introduced into it, um, we would see a lot of bigger, chunky pieces. And uh, and that really was, was allowing people to have a lot more metal uh, along with their pieces. And then into the, as we moved into the more recent years, we're looking at a little more dainty. Uh, and there's always going to be a little bit of influence depending on the uh, not just the culture, but the artist or famous person. For example, several years ago, J-Lo got the Pink Diamond. And then Pink Diamonds were just the big craze, you know, because uh, she, her influence on the market was just not only was her it was her star power, but it was a beautiful concept that people didn't really think about. Oh, wow. I never thought about a diamond that wasn't clear. Uh, you know, you don't think about uh, fancy color pinks, reds, greens and everything else. Uh, we know about the Hope Diamond a lot of times, but you still it doesn't always register that the Hope is a blue diamond. And you're like, wow, I didn't think about that. So these outside influences will sometimes make a major shift to to shift to the more current trends. Blake Lively, when she received her oval, the large oval diamond with a thin pave diamond band. When I say pave, that means the little tiny diamonds that are in the side. So it has a very delicate look. So there's a large center diamond and delicate stones around. That is probably the hottest trend right now in terms of the style because they want all the attention. Again, going back to what I mentioned about the Tiffany Company Solitaire, the, Cartier did kind of a similar thing where they had the Cartier Solitaire. And they have a, the attention goes back to the center stone and the and what and what is holding it is just minimalized, and so now we're going back, and we're going to continue to see those waves. We're going to go into like very ornate, and we're going to go back to simplified. We're going to go very ornate, back to simplified. It just kind of goes in waves, and so right now we're looking at a very delicate micropave, thin, delicate, feminine band with a, a large center stone. I mean, it's interesting, even someone like myself, where I have you know no roots of any kind in the fine jewelry uh, field at all. I remember like a decade ago, there were commercials just every every channel, every time of the day where you would see like, you know, chocolate diamonds. And that yes. was the thing. And I'm like, I haven't heard of a chocolate diamond in a decade. Yep. Yep. And there was that was a big push for that, because, again, uh, what they wanted to do is um, and rightfully so, we're always looking for something that's new and fresh. So um, when the pink diamonds came out. All of a sudden, there was awareness of, oh, wow, uh, there's diamonds other than clear. And so then um, in that around that same time prior and after, we started to talk about the champagne or chocolate diamonds because there was, uh, number one, another option aside from clear diamonds. And number two, the chocolate diamonds actually uh, have a a lower cost. So people were actually going to be able to save money by getting into like a chocolate diamond type of thing, which, uh, which was really a, a plus a win-win for the client uh, and for the industry, I should say, because the, the jeweler is being, is able to offer something at a lower cost 
and the, the client is getting something unique and different at, at a lower cost. And we're kind of heading into that same idea right now with lab-grown diamonds because uh, we're, again, seeing a major push in an alternative to what we're used to. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. But real quick, I want to see, is there any, like, <clears throat> any trends? You know, obviously, we've covered... You know, there's quite a change and there always will be changing, right? Because people right. want to see, you know, what's fresh, what's new, what's a, a neat take on something we haven't seen. Is there anything that's been like really stable inside the, the jewelry community? Well, there's always going to be a bit of a like a base uh, standard of consistency, like the diamond solitaire, diamond stud earrings. Those are kind of staples that every woman for as long, far back as I can think and as far forward as I could probably imagine, uh, there's going to be a, a draw for the simple, keep it simple, you know, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we're, we get, we, we can keep it, uh, some of those trends going forever because they will be, um, they were, there will always be a place for them. And in the industry, uh, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about lab-grown diamonds, but um, naturals uh, and lab-grown will always have a place in the industry as well. Think about it this way. It was really like 6,000 BC. I don't even know how far back. I forget the exact date. I don't know if they have the exact date, but jewelry and and basically self-ornate, uh, uh, bejeweling ourselves as a human uh, species, we've been doing it since the beginning of time so we are always going to find a way to put something on us whether it's earrings whether it's a pendant whether it's a bracelet whether it's a ring there's always going to be something that we're going to want to adorn ourselves with as a human as a human being and so uh that being said even if it's not necessarily a a diamond for the foreseeable future there's always going to be something that we're going to want to adorn ourselves with and I feel that diamonds in general, given their nature, uh, are going to be one of the consistencies. And thank God for the standards. Speaking of, you know, stability uh, and standards, the Responsible Jewelers Council in the UK, they actually are have members like the Jewelers of America, Gemological Institute of America, Cartier, uh, all these major companies in the world. It's a global uh Council, and they are set to release in 2024 uh, standards for um, representing lab-grown diamonds. And so there's always going to be certain companies that are going to help to to inform the client and inform the industry on what standards we should hold to each, each other responsible for. And uh, I think that when we get into the into the the uh, the standards and longevity of jewelry industry, we can always be sure that diamonds above all are going to be held at a very strict standard. So we can always, that's why I, I believe diamonds are always going to be a standard in the industry because they're the ones most regulated. And mo so you can trust it, it for that reason. Yeah, certainly. And I, you know, jewelry's not going anywhere. Even me, like I said, not involved at all in the field. I have had the privilege at one point in my life to hold jewelry that was from 3500 BC. So it's yeah. like, that's almost 6,000 years ago right there. Right. I'm like, it's not going anywhere. Yep. But we do get to see these really fascinating advances like a lab-grown diamond, which 
I assume is something that we can now just kind of like synthesize, you know, diamond. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a really right now we're in a win-win situation with the industry. Again, kind of like we saw with, um, for a brief period, of course, some chocolate diamonds, but, um, but now we're in a, in a much more, uh, uh, sustainable win-win situation because think about it this way is now you're getting a diamond. So the sentimental value of giving a, your engagement person or a gift or, or gifting yourself something that is a, a real diamond and you have the sentimental value there. Now you can offer that at a much lower cost uh, because it's, it's, it's a lab grown diamond. And I know this gets a little bit, the waters get a little murky here because, because yes, you're getting a low cost product and the jeweler is actually making some money on it too because they're getting it at a low cost so they can actually make a little profit on that. Whereas natural diamonds, it's a very tight margin. When companies started selling like crazy online, uh, probably a decade ago, it became very challenging for your normal brick and mortar stores to compete because all of a sudden the price of the diamond started to get squeezed. So you're paying very high prices for something you can sell for just a little bit over. So in terms of the jewelry industry, there was getting a lot of squeeze from online retailers of natural diamonds. Now with lab grown, you're getting a low cost product uh, that you can sell for a reasonable price. And so clients are really thrilled to get a low, a, a really great price on a, on a, on a piece and they're getting a real diamond and the jewelry industry is, is making a little bit of a profit on it. So that's great. It's a win-win, but we'll talk a little bit more about the future of that. Well, yeah. And if, I mean, somebody like me or, you know, the, the random person off the street came in and you handed them one of each, like a natural diamond cut out of the earth and a lab grown diamond, would we be able to tell the difference? There's no way. Uh, there's no way to tell uh, without special equipment. That's the bottom line. With a magnification, now again, the technology keeps improving. So every day we see some improvements and changes. Right now we're in, we're getting almost to, uh, I don't like to use word perfection because that's just, uh, you know, that's always a subjective term to use. Uh, but uh, but the laboratory process is is really reaching a perfection, which is kind of a good thing and a bad thing because some of the some of the imperfections we see in diamonds help us to identify their authenticity. So when you get a perfect, perfect diamond that's like, say, decolor, which is basically no color, flawless, which means there's nothing on it or inside it, you're looking at a flawless diamond and you can't find anything to identify it technically, visually. So you have to use other tools to identify it. So we're in a we're in a situation situation right now where lab grown diamonds are in really high quality uh, specimens. And so when you look at it, they're like there's nothing there to really separate it from a natural high quality diamond. There's you'd have to do some additional testing. Uh, now there are, uh, again, just as quickly as diamonds are advancing in their manufacturing uh, properties and equipment, there's also testing equipment that's also kind of growing along with it. So we're starting to see more equipment being introduced to the industry that we can use. There's a multi-tester, for example, where not to get too crazy technical again, but the thermal conductivity of a diamond is very unique. So you may have been at a jewelry store and you see them pull out this little pin thing 
and they and they poke the diamond and they're like seeing and it lights up and it's like okay that's a real diamond that's they say well we use a diamond tester what that does is measures the thermal conductivity of the diamond but when synthetic moissanite came out they had a similar synthetic uh uh, uh a crystal structure and so the diamond tester was getting confused. It's like, well, it thinks it's a diamond because the thermal conductivity was the same as a diamond. So they had to create another tester to separate the two. Now there's a third tester that separates lab-grown, natural, and moissanite. And so we, we will continually find tools to help. Uh, I know it's a long answer to your question, but the, but the you can't tell from putting them side by side, looking at it with your eye, even under magnification is very tricky to see. Uh, but there are there are definitely a lot of tools that you can use. And again, again, it comes back to your trusted jeweler. Um, just so you know, the Federal Trade Commission uh, does have standards for anybody in the U.S. in particular to identify and disclose. So you can't, if you go to a jeweler, and they say, well, this one's not certified. You don't worry about that nonsense, blah, blah, blah. I probably wouldn't trust that guy because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're getting. Uh, usually, in any significant size diamond, when I say significant size, anything over uh, half a carat, um, particularly in the one carat, two carat range, it's going to have a laser inscription, which is super tiny on the diamond itself, which identifies it um, as lab-grown or it'll identify it as a cert with a certified number. Um, and that's what I would strongly recommend to make sure that your diamond is certified and identified before you purchase it, especially if you're gonna be spending anything above like say $5,000 or any at any really uh, price that you're looking at something significant for you. If you're if, if the $2,000 purchase is significant for you, which it is for me sometimes, <laughs> Is you know you want to make sure you have all the answers, and it's it's totally okay for you to ask the jeweler, hey, listen, is that one certified? I want to make sure I buy something certified, even at that price range. Definitely, you can request something certified, so you know uh, that it's been identified. So that way, you don't have to go through the whole practice of, okay, now I got to test it, now I got to figure out what it is. If it's certified, you're you're golden. It's definitely one of those like technology advances because it must. We're yes. like, we didn't have a need for this technology to differentiate, you know, diamonds, moissanite and lab grown before because they weren't around. Right. And you're like, oh, great. Well, now we have them. We got to figure something out. Well, I want to I want to chime in on something interesting about the timeline, because, you know, the lab grown diamonds aren't really all that new. Actually, it was way back. The synthetic synthesizing process started way back at the turn of the last century in 1900 or so. And um the biggest challenge was, is getting a good quality uh, diamond. And, and so there was a couple of things. They couldn't make them big enough to be really usable. The, the, the technology advanced. They finally got into a really good rhythm. Really, it was probably about 20 years ago where they were making some pretty good size and good quality uh, lab-grown diamonds. However, the... The industry wasn't really taking to it. They're like, well, they're, those are those are lab grown. They're synthetics. They're not really, and they are real diamonds. But they're, but people wanted the the thing out of the ground. And I'll explain in a couple of minutes why. Um, number one is the technology was there, but the industry wasn't really um, embracing it. Uh, think about it this way: if you were able to take a dinosaur bone, now let's just uh, 
suspend reality like Jurassic Park for a second. Okay. <laughs> We're going to suspend reality. You could take a diamond, uh, I mean, a, a dinosaur bone and make a synthetic version of it. Just take the DNA of something from a billion years ago and just rebuild a bone that looks, feels, and literally has the same chemical or DNA structure as a dinosaur bone. Okay. And you, and you make a thousand of them. Let's say you can print one, you can make one every, every once a week. So now you've got like a thousand of these bones and you put them all in these museums and you tell people that it's a real dinosaur bone. It was just rebuilt uh, through a, synthes a synthesized process. Now, take the one bone that was actually found in the ground from a billion years ago and you put that one in a museum. And now you have all these bones in these different museums. Which museum do you think is going to get the most attention? The, I mean, you could, you might, yeah. If you can't go to the one museum that has the bone that was a billion years old, you go to the other one to see, hey, I can see exactly what it was like. I can, I can see it. I know that I can, I can actually even study it. Uh, but it's still not, even though it is a real bone, it's still not the one that came out of the ground. And that's the big difference between lab-grown and natural diamond. Yes, it is real, chemically, optically, physically. It, it's just, it doesn't have the same uh, mystique about it because it didn't come out of the ground from a billion years ago. It just, somebody made it last week, you know? And so that's where the big uh, challenge was early on. But now that it's shifting, because COVID, for example, had a major impact on, as we all know, economically, we had to rethink how we spend our money. And we're like, well, we still want to buy diamonds, but we can't afford them, right? Um, people don't know this, but the Iraq, uh, I mean, the war in Ukraine actually put us in a position with Russia that caused a lot of issues. 30% of the diamonds that America was consuming were coming from Russia. So of course, President Biden banned the, those diamonds and said, we're no longer going to receive those. So that actually caused some strain on the natural diamond industry. So all these imports. And so now, so there was a lot of, again, a win-win. We're not going to support Russia. <laughs> we're not going to, you know, we're not, we don't want to, we don't want to buy these diamonds that are, that are, that are coming out of the ground where people are like fighting civil wars and kids are digging them up and there's inhumane, you know, environments that they're working in. So we're going to buy these lab-grown diamonds that are sustainable. They're more friendly to the to the environment, and they're more friendly to the people that are developing them, and they're a much lower cost. It's, it's a win-win. Uh, so it it just that there's so many different variables that will impact where we are now, and so that's why we're we're now seeing a spike because it's just it's there's a lot of positivity behind lab-grown diamonds. Yeah, it's very much trying to balance you know, having this enormous history of this billion year old diamond that you dug out of the earth with its present history of like, where did this come from? Is it ethical to own this thing? Right. Versus like, oh, it's, it's not old because it was just made in a lab, but it's also very pretty and there's no like stigma on it. Yep. Yep. Now the thing about the, uh, um, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the stigma on it, but more importantly, the stigma on the la uh, the natural diamonds, and it's it's a very challenging thing. 
I love the movie Blood Diamonds with Leonardo DiCaprio uh, because it's very true, very honest. But I, I do want to caution the audience, too, about uh, looking into that film in terms of a, in, in a broad scope. I wouldn't paint the industry with such a with, with such a broad swipe here, because, uh, first of all, that in Sierra Leone back in the mid 90s, that was really happening. There was a lot of civil war uh, unrest and abuse of the industry and that still exists in the world but to that to that degree not so much there's a lot of things that have been put in place actually to help curb a lot of those things that were going on so people might think oh gosh i saw blood diamonds and and yeah the industry is like that everywhere you go to canada wherever you go they're mining diamonds and these little kids are digging them up and all this other stuff and people are getting their hands cut off and blah 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 it's not happening everywhere nowhere even close uh there are some of those uh, African countries like in the Congo or, uh, or the uh, um, some of those uh, Botswana, some of these countries that do have some kind of marginal behavior. Uh, but we've introduced, I say we because I'm in the industry, but not, not me personally. We, Sunny Blaze <laughs> and the rest of the industry, uh, introduced several years ago was the Kimberly process, which is basically a way for countries to be held accountable say hey listen did you fund a civil war with these diamonds and they have to literally certify no we have not and so they say, okay now you can now you can trade them in the u.s uh so the vast majority by far of the diamonds that come into the u.s are conflict free if you were to go to africa and go to like botswana and buy a diamond in a shop there you would maybe be a little bit more concerned about maybe the history behind it. Where did it come from? Did it fund some, you know, some industry uh, that was uh, that was that was supporting in conflict or civil war? So we think about number one the political side of it, but we can rest assured that the natural diamonds in the U.S. and and like the U.K. all the major uh, industries um, that are uh, what we'd call like a civilized community say it's like a and the uk or or um japan they're going to be definitely have they're they're going to be protecting their consumers uh by making sure the diamonds aren't coming from like i said as soon as the war broke out with ukraine they they had were already having talks about well we got to figure out the situation with the diamonds so they cut off russia because they want they say we, we can't provide support for these types of countries uh because of what they're involved in and so the industry does make a an effort uh, not perfect uh does make an effort to protect the consumer and speaking of children this is also a very difficult uh, situation and i know firsthand uh, you know as when i was a kid you know we'd go i'd go help my parents out on the farm and working we're shearing sheep and all this other stuff at an on a young age and so for me it was kind of normal life and I can't, I'm not going to compare myself to someone in Sierra Leone. It's a 15, 13 year old that's older digging for diamonds, right? Because uh, that's a whole that's a that's a very serious situation and hardship that this this child is going through. They're in really bad they're in really bad uh, home style home life, uh, but they will not eat if they don't find. 
diamonds. That's the truth. And then some countries, there's no other industry for them. They can't just quit their mining job and go work at Subway. That just It's just not there. And a lot of times the parents or the other family members don't have either their, their health is not uh, giving them the ability or they don't have the opportunity to do what they do. So in some of these cases, when we look at these children, oh my gosh, there's these little kids are out there digging diamonds. It's like, well, yeah, but if they don't have that, they don't eat. And that's it. And and that's no excuse for bad governing because bad governing does really put it to these kids. Sometimes the, the government in some of these countries does not take care of their people. And we can't blame the child or the jewelry industry for bad governing. It's really what it comes down to. And so... So those are two of the reasons why we have to kind of, you know, in a, in a way, suspend reality a little bit for a second to see the bigger picture of what's happening in the natural diamond industry. But, you know, we, we can look at it in a bunch of different ways. So, uh, but let's talk about happy thoughts, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of these, you know, very economically poor com- countries that, uh, you know, they don't have the opportunity that a lot of us do and it takes a very conscious effort from an industry like this where you know you could potentially make a larger profit if you use you know a, a product that you pay much less for but for the industry at large like you said not everybody but most people to say like hey we are only going to purchase and use conflict free diamonds like we can't be a part of this we recognize that you know, it's an unfortunate part of that lifestyle of the place they are, but we just can't take part in it. Like, that's a very conscious and very positive effort to say, like, we need change. Yes, absolutely. And the wonderful thing about the changes that we've seen is, again, the lab-grown diamonds and the certification process with the Kimberly process for natural diamonds, they're giving us a lot more uh, comfort in in having options for clients. Because I have no problems if a client says, hey, listen, I'd rather go with a lab-grown because I know that it hasn't gone through or there's no risk of it coming through, you know, this uh, uh, through any conflict uh, means. And I, I think that's great. I think it's fine for a client to, to go there. I personally like a, the natural diamonds just because of the uh, I, I have a passion for for the the history and the, the the purity. There's some there's some lore that really goes into this. When you think about an engagement ring, for example, and I know this might sound like a sales pitch, but I honestly do believe this. When I'm when I when I'm giving or talking to a client about an engagement ring, I say, listen, the diamond is is basically a hundred percent or ninety nine point nine 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 percent carbon. Platinum is if you have a platinum band that's nine, it says platinum nine fifty. That means it's ninety five percent platinum, and the other five percent is iridium or ruthenium, which is basically a pa- a family a platinum family uh, element. So that is used as a hardener to help you know keep the ring from bending too much because platinum is fairly malleable. So when you're talking about basically you're wearing a ring that's three elements: carbon, uh, crystallized carbon, platinum, and ruthenium. That's it. That is almost as pure as you can get in a product. If you're talking about a 14 karat ring, that's only 54.5% gold. The rest of it is different alloys and metals. If you're talking about a a sapphire, it's corundum, which is gonna be a a few different elements combined to make a sapphire. So when you think about the purity of your love and the purity of what this symbolizes, that's why I always lean towards the diamond platinum 
solitaire because it's as pure as you can get as a symbol of your purity. And again, that's only if you're kind of really romantic about the whole thing. Uh, if you want just something pretty, uh, that's nothing wrong with that. It's just, uh, you know, I, that's just the way I see it. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah, of course. It's that personal preference. Like, you know, if you lean very heavy towards one thing, you're like, oh, I want gold just because, you know, whatever the history is with gold that you have that's special to you. Like, great, get gold. You can find it. It's out there. Versus like, oh, I want something very clean, very minimalistic. And you're like, this thing is literally three elements. That's it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yep, and it's easy to it's easy to overthink it. Uh, and, and getting back to getting back to the you know forest gumping our way through things, you know, we we have we do have a tendency to kind of uh, overthink things. I, I have a tendency to overthink things and and really dig into some of the details and the science behind some of these things. At the end of the day, is it beautiful? Does it match my personality? That's what matters. Can I afford it? Am I am I being reasonable about what you know what I'm giving? Because. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, that we can really overlook. Uh, I mean, again, it's about a symbol symbolizing. If you're giving a gift or you're gifting yourself, you want something that really you want to honor and love for a long time. So we we need to think about the durability and something that that really is beautiful. And that's why diamonds a lot of times really just make the fit the bill because they're durable, they're beautiful. And they really are going to are going to stand the test of time in most cases. Uh, well, the diamond itself, I should say, will always stand the test of time. The the design, you know, for most part, a lot of them are pretty are pretty uh, uh, timeless. Uh, but every now and then, you know, I had long hair back in the eighties, and you know, if, if it was if it was, you know, some of these fashion trends with the big poofy hair, you kind of like. Well, maybe I'm glad that went by because <laughs> if, imagine if it was permanent, I'd be here with the big poofy hair right now. They're like, yeah, I was, uh, just, just don't worry about my hair. Just, I, I got Aquanet from head to toe right now. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there is, you know, there's this timeless aspect, not only to the material, but the way we viewed it where we're like, oh, you, you know, your diamond engagement ring, your wedding ring, whatever it is. Like that is kind of the standard where we're like, hey, this is, you know, this is what most people use, I guess, in, to generalize to say like, this is what you buy for your wedding ring. Is there a difference? Because I know there was always the old saying, and I don't even know the month standard where they were like, oh, one, two, three months of your salary, whatever it was to to buy the ring. Would you notice that difference? between like a natural diamond and a lab grown because of the price difference of a lab grown, would you like visibly see how much bigger it is? Absolutely. There's that is going to be, that is one of the biggest issues right now. Um, I don't want to say issue. It's one of the biggest factors uh, because uh, again, it's a good thing. Uh, clients are getting much bigger diamonds for the price of, uh, and I and I, I I jotted down the stat here somewhere, but um, I, I don't I don't think I have it in front of me at the moment. But basically, what we're looking at is probably a a one carat diamond is comparable to maybe a four carat lab grown uh, or five carat lab grown. So we're, the sizes are like you know this and this. You know, it's like it's like really noticeable difference for the same price. Now. In terms of pricing, uh, the standard of three months salary or 
uh, that kind of thing. That's going to be up to the individual. You know, the the industry, uh, you know, really would have um, would like to keep people on that um, trend. And here's the reason why. And again, I I. I I don't want to sound like like I'm selling the idea, but this is really one of the things I truly believed when I was I truly believe still when I was talking to clients about engagement rings. One guy came in and he was like, he's like, well, I it's so small. I don't want to spend more than like two or three grand. You know, it's like, it's like OK, that's fair enough. I, I get it. You, you, you know, you want to spend. Let me just ask you this. Uh, how much was your truck? He's like, well, it's like forty five thousand dollars. It's like, well, are you going to have that truck? In ten years, still, you're gonna are you gonna buy another one? I mean, what about your TV at the time? Big screen TVs were probably like three grand. Are you gonna have that t same TV in five years? Uh, or let's say, what about um, let's say your house? Yeah, you're gonna spend like a million dollars on a house, but is that house gonna be standing in two hundred years? So there's all these different products that we just dump money into even though they don't have the longevity, a diamond is going to really be around for centuries because it's so the band itself may eventually wear down, but the diamond itself is not going to really ever go anywhere unless you really hammer it with, <laughs> destroy it with a hammer. It's probably going to maintain its, its same quality and shape and everything else for hundreds of years. But there's still this, this psychology and, 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 the guy was like, well, yeah, but I, my truck, I need my truck and a TV. I can, you know, I can watch it. The diamond is just kind of just a little thing. I said, but you know what? The thing is, is that she doesn't see it that way. And more importantly, what it symbolizes, you know, what is she worth to you? Because at the end of the day, you, you're making the most significant statement. It should be anyway. I want to marry you. You're making the most significant statement in your life. And so you want that to be one of the most significant purchases to represent that. And my in my book, again, this is that's a romanticized version of why I think it's important. And that's also why lab-grown diamonds are still going to have a lot of value because it's it, it's what it symbolizes that matters and the longevity that you're going to have with the product. So at the end of the day, you have to decide, hey, listen, what am I willing to spend to make a statement like this? And yeah, just uh, you know, it's 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 hard to push somebody into a major purchase like this. So you kind of have again have to be comfortable with it yourself. Of course, and it's it's extremely romantic the thought of being like, I want our love to be symbolized by this diamond that is going to be you know nearly eternal. Like I mm -hmm. want that same thing for us. I want us to be in love forever, and that's extremely romantic. So I absolutely understand the idea. Like. I, I don't, wouldn't argue any of that at all. I think it's great, but it's also very much like, you know, what, what is you, like you said, what really, you know, draws you in? Does it need to be absolutely flawless? Does it need to be crystal clear or do you want something that's a different color? Are you, you know, do would you prefer a ton of smaller ones that kind of ring the entire ring or do you want like one big stone? You know, it's very personal I guess these decisions and it kind of, like you said, you have to trust the person helping you where you're like, Hey, I have no idea what I'm looking for. Please help me. Absolutely. I think it's always great to, again, to find a good jeweler in your area or someone that you can trust and have a conversation with them. Cause most, most retailers are going to really 
they want you to be happy. And so they, they're, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that you fully understand and know what you're getting into. Because the last thing they want is to, is to feed you a line and then have you come back a month later being all angry. It's like, I can't believe what I got. They, they want you to be happy and, and forever. And so they want you to be informed. And so it's important to find a trustworthy uh, conversational uh, place where you can literally sit down, sit down and have a conversation and say, listen, okay, tell me a little bit more about what I'm getting into here and why, because it is a, it is a very important purchase when I'm talking more about engagement rings, but in most products, it's any fine jewelry is tip is usually a significant purchase. It's a, it's an important gift because we're talking in the thousands when you talk in fine jewelry. Um, if it's costume jewelry, then it's just something you're buying for yourself or something you're buying as a gift um, uh, to, to symbolize a, a, a birthday or something special, but not necessarily a high value of significance. And so just to clarify, when I'm talking fine jewelry, I'm talking usually pieces that are made within precious metals like silver, gold, platinum, and, and precious stones such as uh, uh, diamonds, sapphires, rubies, uh, etc., when I'm talking costume jewelry, we're talking about something that's gold plated or something that's like a, just a chrome plated and it's got like rhinestones in it or something like that or, or glass stones. And they they look beautiful. Again, technology is really coming up where you're seeing some really beautiful costume jewelry pieces. And there's nothing wrong with those. It's just that, you know, again, it just matter what you're comfortable with and how important is it for you to make a statement with that piece as well when, when someone – because the biggest difference between costume and and fine jewelry is is going to be the longevity because if you have something that's chrome plated or something that's like uh, made out of uh plated gold eventually it will wear the glass beads are going to get scratched up they're going to break they're going to scuff they're going to be dull within months and so they're going to change color so the biggest difference is going to be uh the biggest factor in their value is their longevity and how they wear. Fine jewelry typically will last a lot longer than anything that's made, uh, at least visibly. It'll even if it even if the costume piece of jewelry stays together for a hundred years, it's going to be beat the hell. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that like the idea if I want our love to be timeless, so I got you diamond. Well, I want this birthday to be exactly one year, so I got your costume jewelry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's okay if it dies within a year. Well, you know, because because I'll get you another one with your next birthday. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this. You know, I think when people think fine jewelry, there's a very limited scope. People kind of look through their lenses, like, oh, it means rings, earrings, necklaces. And that's not true at all, because I just saw one of yours recently as we were emailing that is actually the cover to an in-ear audio. And yes. I'm like, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. We've introduced something called Coda. I'm actually wearing right right now. And what it is, the, the one I'm wearing is actually a uh, solid silver with 18 karat. Uh, now I can't get it back on because I can't see. Um, <laughs> but basically what it is, is solid, it's solid 18 solid silver with 18 karat inlay and what we've done we've taken these ultimate ear in-ear monitors which are used by everyone from taylor swift on down these are top end in-ear monitors for stage performers primarily musicians and singers but they are used also in studios and other places and years ago 
we're going back now to 2015 or so. I was like, hey, why are they putting, again, they're putting like little rhinestones or different color things there. Why why don't they put the uh, diamonds or something special on there, you know? And so I finally connected with Ultimate Ears Pro and I said, well, let's, let's do something special. And so we developed the first and only interchangeable faceplate on a top tier monitor. And we've also introduced diamonds and precious metal, which was really not really done before. And so now, again, talking about it's got to match you, right? It, the fine jewelry industry is can be broad. It can be watches. It can be um, other things. Um, this is the newest, latest thing. And Eric Church is one of my favorite clients. He is a, an incredible uh, musician. Um, if anybody knows country music, they know Eric Church. He's one of the foremost, I mean, established country artist next to George Strait and some, you know, some of those guys. And uh, he is not a jewelry guy at all. He doesn't even wear his wedding ring when he plays live. He has like a badge on, on, a, on a necklace because his grandfather was the chief of police. And so he uh, inherited the, the nickname chief. So when I was talking to his camp, I was like, well, you know, let's see what we can do. And so I actually came up with this uh, design that matched his personality and came and, and he just loved it. And he even ordered a second one to have on his tour. And that's all he uses typically. So if you watch the CMTs, the, the, the country music award shows or any of his live performance, you'll see his, uh, his in-ear silver with black diamond accent. And the thing is, is that with these um, in-ear monitors and the code of faceplates, We've taken fine jewelry, and again, we're not – people like to use the word bling. But I hate that word because it's, it's not blingy bedazzled. Yeah. <laughs> We've actually enhanced it into something that fits you, and it has a high value because it's no longer plastic. Now it's something worthy of a $2,000 pair of headphones, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, we've, we've taken that uh, and introduced a new trend, which we'll see – it's so brand new that we'll see how things start to pan out in terms of other artists. We're seeing a lot of hip hop artists now starting to wear them. Uh, Sweetie and Usher, a couple of my clients as well. And so we see a lot more diamonds in their in their pieces. And I just did one for uh, a guy that does that works for a gaming company. And his are, of course, a lot more understated, but kind of a distressed kind of look. And so it's really, you know, again, it's about fitting your personality and fitting what you uh, what you want out of your out of your style and just you know so many ways to do it especially yeah are there you know as we're looking to the future i know i've kept you a while and i've, I've appreciated okay. your time immensely as you look to the future do you see you know any major changes or any new products that you're like oh when this is ready it's going to be extremely cool yeah, you know, Ed, that is a really tricky question. And we'd love to have the 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 crystal ball to see what's going to be hot. And who knows? Um, there's going to be a handful of things that uh, uh, that are going to come out that are that'll probably surprise us. I honestly don't know right now. Lab grown diamonds is the hottest thing. Uh, using them in different places, using them in different colors, is going to be um, again. We saw the champagne and chocolate diamonds back in the day uh, because they were offering. Um, this different concept i would imagine that colored diamonds whether in the reds blues orange are gonna start to make a, a another um impact uh, what i started to see most recently in some of the more obscure kind of trends is uh enameled or colored 
metals and jewelry. I know that back in the, gosh, in the 30s and, and 40s, we did see a lot of enamel work, but this is a different type of enameling where people want to see bright colors. People want to introduce different, something other than just the white diamonds. Uh, so these are some of the trends we're keeping a close eye on because adding more color is probably going to come back probably very soon. Uh, how long that will last, I don't know, because I do see that the diamonds, the clear diamonds are always going to have a, uh, uh, an impact and a, and a high value in the industry. But I think right now, Coda is the only thing that I can think of that's really unique. And uh, we'll see how that goes. That's right. I can't wait to get to a point where I can expense some for uh, for the studio. I'll get rid of the over-ear headphones right. and I'll go to, to the in-ear right. codas. Well, Sonny, thank you so much for being on the show. Like I said, I've appreciated your time immensely. I wanted to give you some time where if people want to look you up and find you and find more of what you do, they have the ability. That's right. Sunnyblaze.com is my website. Yeah, you can, you can follow me. I, I do a lot. Uh, I, I like to really follow a lot of people and, and take a look at Instagram. So for if you want to follow me on Instagram, that would be fantastic and see some of the new things that I'm working on. Uh, and, and I want to just say that, uh, yes, it's like, uh, you know, when we in our lives, we are always faced with uh, this kind of sum up my career. Somebody said once, you know, uh, luck is just a matter of opportunity meeting preparation. And I, I like to share this little uh, hy hypothetical story is like a, if there's a dollar bill on the on the street right you're not going to come across that dollar bill unless you go out into the world if you go out for a walk go out there get yourself out there then you might stumble across an opportunity but then when you see the dollar bill on the sidewalk you can't just keep walking you have to grab it so when you see an opportunity you have to grab it and so that's what you do first you get out there and you grab the opportunity and then you will see that you've gained something and that's how we success succeed in our lives really is we actually get out there we see an opportunity we seize the moment and move to the next chapter yeah a fantastic message thank you again for being here yeah thanks colton great to see you we'll see you again i really hope this saves someone out there a truly ridiculous amount of time and money like Buy a synthetic diamond the size of a finger, and then buy your, hopefully, favorite podcaster lunch. I know I'll sure appreciate it, even if your fiancé-to-be does not. August is over halfway gone already, and here's some updated rankings. Number one, the United States, now led by Oregon, New Jersey, and California. Number two, the United Kingdom, overtaking Canada on the way to number two and led by England. Number three, Hong Kong, showing up in a big way all of a sudden. Welcome to the top three, HK. Number four, Ontario, Canada. And number five, Australia, barely holding on to a top spot, all thanks to Queensland. That's it for this week. Have a great week and I'll see you all back here for the next episode. Until the next episode, please do all those things that help the show, like rating, reviewing, liking, and subscribing. Reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media pages if you want to reach me personally. Most importantly, stay dumb.